everyone, and welcome to The Art of Podcasting, Episode 12, Establishing a Workflow, recorded May 6th, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementopie.com. Someday I'm going to have to come up with better titles for the show. They're all very bland. I guess it's good SEO. They're descriptive. So this week, uh, as the title suggests, we're going to talk about establishing a workflow, how to be a podcaster and not lose your sanity. And with me, as always, to do that this week are my co-hostesses with the co-mostesses, Mr. Steve Tirabino of howtopodcast.biz. Hey, Steve. Hello, fellas. How's it going? Good, good, good. And Mr. James, the Professor Messer of ProfessorMesser.com. Hey, James. Did you say not lose your sanity? Assuming you had it to begin with. Okay. I recognize that's not always a valid assumption. Okay. In fact, I had mine to begin with and definitely did lose it for a while. You may actually need to be a little bit insane just to want to be a podcaster. There has to be some instability there. Let's just say it helps. It does. Not a requirement. (laughs) We're not forcing it on anyone. That thing that boring boring people have. Yeah, that's what sanity is. That's what's going on in the chat room. (laughs) We love the chat room. They're in there making comments that some of which may even be valuable. Welcome chat room. If you want to be in our live chat room, I don't think I say this often enough. Uh, yeah. uh, 10 p.m. Central Time, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific on Sunday nights. We do this show live in front of a non-studio audience. So come check it out. Join the chat room. Uh, be a part of the the stuff that I edit out of the show. I like that non-studio audience. Yes. because Well, James is the only one who's sort of in a studio. I'm definitely in a studio, but there is no audience. Right. I'm in... I'm on a couch. Yes. I'm in a very large coffin. (laughs) All right. (laughs) That's hilarious. See, another reason to see the live video. You would understand what Mark's talking about. You would get that joke if you were watching the live studio. But the Cowboys poster is gone behind me. I need to replace it with a picture of bacon. So, Steve, what did you do? How did you spend your weekend? What did you do today? Uh, this weekend had nothing to do with podcasting, but I took on a project because it had to be done, and I regret it, kind of, and I'm also happy I got through it. I had to recalk my bathtub because it was just Uh-oh. getting too mildewy, and then it turned dark mildewy and then blackish, and I hear th- bad things about black mold, so I, think, I thought it was time. So anyway, I, I, I YouTubed it and Googled it, and I read how to get rid of the mildew and do the recalking. And I followed, I, I bought the, all the right tools, followed everything to a T. And I even put tape along the side of the uh, bathtub when I actually did the caulking. So no caulk would get like, you know, outside the tape. Like, you know how you paint, you know, how you put tape down when you paint. Right. I, same type of tape, blue painter's tape. So I get put one that seven on. And one tools because you need one of them seven and one tools. <laughs> I actually didn't use a seven and one tool. I had an actual caulk remover. It was only one in one tool, but it had the right purpose. So I finished the job. It looked beautiful. I had the tape up there and I made all the lines perfect and everything. And so I, for about half an hour, I leave the bathroom and I'm like, job well done. I'm all proud of myself. I'm like, I'm going to go do something I enjoy. And then I realized that when you caulk a bathtub, you're supposed to take the tape off as soon as you apply the caulk. You don't leave it on like you do when you paint. 
Oh, dear. So I ran back upstairs, pulled the tape off, and the caulk started coming off with the tape. <laughs> and I just made uh, just a mess out of the whole thing, trying to smooth it out with my finger. And the caulk was already half dried. And so it just all made ripples and waves. And it was a nightmare. But I got you have through a YouTube it. link. I was going to take videos. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry this has nothing to do with podcasting, but I'm, I had to tell somebody. I feel a little bit better now. So that was caulking 1.0, and you'll be doing caulking 2.0 next weekend, right? <laughs> yes. Now that I know how to do it, I'm debating whether I should do it again or just leave it alone for the professionals. Yeah, I do that a lot. I do something long enough to realize I don't know what I'm doing. And often <laughs> I call a professional right in the middle of it. And plumbers love me because it's like, you know, the cost to replace a toilet is X. The cost to replace half a toilet that you broke is two times X. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as, no, as long as no water leaks back there, I think I'm going to leave the uh, shabby job that I did in place. That's how I spent my weekend. There you go. How about you, Steve? Anything interesting in your life? I mean, well, James? <laughs> I just did, Steve. <laughs> Stupid nouns. How about you, James? <laughs> interesting in my life. You know, my weekends are when I do all of my production work. So uh, it was good, good, of course, to be back instead of being on the other coast. Uh, but uh, it, was a, it was a lot of uh, shooting of video and posting of video and editing of video. We'll talk a little bit about that since uh, a lot of the, the topics on this particular episode revolve around the process. We will certainly talk about that. Isn't it awesome how that works out when we're doing a show about podcasting? And since we're actually podcasting, the show is about the stuff we do. That's great. Mm -hmm. It all works out. Uh, I, what, uh, what you may notice, I, I've mentioned it a, a couple of times, and I'm, I have a big announcement right now. My big, big market teaser announcement is uh, available just moments ago. I put up on, on my website at elementop.com. You have to be logged in. That's the key. I want your I want your email address so I can spam you for the rest of your life. Uh, no, uh, I don't. I don't like spam. I don't even like the canned meat product. So anyway, I uh, put up just just a few minutes ago a preview, uh, chapter three. Actually, it's it's sort of the rough draft of chapter three. It's not the final edit of my forthcoming book, the podcast handbook. Uh, and actually, chapter three is one of the longest chapters, so it's a good meaty chunk of book that you can download and. Uh, Figure out if you're going to like the rest of it, and it won't. It will come out as a as a an actual book, uh, well, a PDF, uh, eventually. But the primary mode is going to be as an audio book. So just picture me reading that content when the time um, comes. So I just thought I'd mention that, and you're going to see if you if you read my book, uh, a not only a quick correlation, but almost an order correlation of chapters in the book and topics for this show. And it's not that I'm stealing from the show. It's the other way around. It's as I write a book, I think, ooh, as I write a chapter, I think, ooh, this would be a good topic for the show. So I, I put that in the in the topics we'll talk about. So I just wrote the chapter on on workflow and and processing and figuring out how to do all this. And then I, and so this week we're going to talk about that. I really should do that backwards. I really should do the show first, and then I can steal all your ideas for the book. It's a whole lot easier than having to come up with stuff on my own. I'm gonna <laughs> probably going to start doing that in the future. That's a great idea. Now, can somebody who downloads it, can they call you and have you read it to them so they get really get the feel that it's going to be an audiobook? $700 an hour. I will do that. <laughs> Very nice. There is a cost. Yes. That's my, 
Uh, <laughs> anyway, speaking of calling and listening, oh, weak transition, but I'm going to do it anyway. We have our first voicemail for the show. I think it's our first voicemail. We've had a couple of emails, yes. but this is our first voicemail from the show from a prolific, prolific voicemailer. Uh, Mr. Steve McLaughlin, the door-to-door geek, called in and left us uh, this voicemail that I'm going to play for you right now. Hello, Mark. This message is for Art of Podcasting. This is Steve McLaughlin, door-to-door geek. This is not a criticism, Mark, because I love everything you do. But I got the notes for everyday Lennox, I was on about 10 episodes ago or so. I was almost intimidated when I opened the notes because I don't think I should touch these. Mark did such a good job of putting stuff together and it looked so organized. I was afraid to add something to the notes. So the only thing I would ask is you make sure all of your guests completely understand that they can add to the notes. Maybe it was just me. It was probably just me. Either way, I've learned too much to mention in one phone message. I thank you very much for this podcast. Professor Messer, Steve, Mark, keep it up. Great job. Later. All right. Thanks, Dor, for the feedback uh, about my um, overly compulsive show notes. I would like to say thank you, Dor. Definitely thank you, Dor. See, Mark, this is the reason why I have not been contributing too much to the notes. That's, that's exactly the reason. Dor oh. summed it up right. Yes. Now yes. we know. So I intimidate you so much that you just don't, you can't contribute. It's the perfect justification. He laid it out right there for me. That's funny. I actually sent the guys, I, I always do. When I send the notes, I, I email them, even though they get it anyway, I send them an email so they, so that it's uh, forefront on their minds. And I typed in there, the, the, the show notes are fairly uh, um, lackluster for me. Uh, and then after I sent that, I looked back and it was like, there's like 19 bullet points and four paragraphs, right. mm-hmm. <laughs> but I felt like there wasn't enough content there. That's awesome. I contributed this week. Yes, you did. There's what, four lines in there, which is uh, <laughs> way more than normal. <laughs> like Steve got that one in. Hey, I wrote something in there. That's right. <laughs> this week, I wrote something in there. <laughs> but I will say that in our boilerplate template, the first paragraph says, this is a collaborative document. You're encouraged to get in there and add things. In fact, the more you add, the better the show will be, yada, yada, yada. So it's there. But I think when I sent him, I didn't send him that because I just assumed he was such a, an experienced podcaster, he'd know how it goes. So I, was, uh, I made an assumption that turned out to be uh, detrimental on his part. I think we all do a pretty good job with that. <laughs> of making assumptions? Of not of making assumptions, of writing things in the show notes. Yes, yes. I'm not complaining, honestly. I'm not. <laughs> well, Dor, I tried to use your email as an excuse, so thank you for sending <laughs> Voicemail, Steve. Voicemail. Voicemail. Well that played. is my biggest flaw. I never right. get those two right. I will mix them up. If there's a 50-50 chance, I will mix it up every time. Yeah, that's your name, uh, noun problem. Yes. What was is. it uh, Yogi Berra said? Uh, 50, if there's a 50-50 chance, 90% of the time you'll get it wrong? <laughs> I think he said something like that. Yeah, you can, Yogi Berra or Benjamin Franklin, you can say anything uh, remotely witty or weird and attribute it to one of those guys, and people will <laughs> nod and say, yeah, it makes sense. Sounds like <laughs> something they'd say. Okay, anything else before we move on to the, uh, oh, uh, one thing I wanted to mention, because we're geeks and our audience is probably geeks, uh, I went this weekend and saw the Avengers movie. 
Um, it just came out on Friday. I saw it on la, Saturday. La, 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 yeah, no spoilers. La, la, la. Uh, no spoilers. Okay. I, I will just say uh, my comment that I've been saying is that if you're willing to check your brain at the door, it's a very enjoyable uh, you know, two and a half hours. What kind of comment was that? <laughs> well, uh, somebody I was talking to said, you know, you've got to be willing to suspend, uh, spend, suspend disbelief. No, it's a guy who so turns that, green. He's called yes. the Hulk. He bangs stuff, but yeah. you got to, you know, that's perfect. And absolutely, you do have to suspend disbelief and well, reason and logic and basic understanding of rudimentary physics. And when you're willing to do that, it's an awesome show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks for putting that in context. <laughs> I think uh, most movies fall into that context. Yeah. I mean, particularly, I mean, it is a comic book movie, and it is about a guy who flies and another guy who turns green. So, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. But uh, uh, there were just some things there that uh, I found um, la, la, hard la, to overlook. La, 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 la. <laughs> no, no spores. It's just, there are just things I found hard to overlook in terms of, uh-huh. of being a smart guy. Um but how does it end? How does the movie end? Ah, la, la. Um, all the bad guys win. The good guys die. Uh, see, it's a little, little switch up on you. Yeah. I think it's going one way. The boat sinks. Um, I, I saw another great tweet I want to mention. It was from uh, a guy who goes by the name of Bad Banana on Twitter. And he said, the Avengers has everything I look for in a movie. Scarlett Johansson in a skin-tight suit and some sort of story. <laughs> Indeed. That's awesome. Makes me want to see it now. Yeah. And uh, as much as I complain about it, uh, I'm looking forward to the next movie. So it, it was a good time. And the 3D, cool. I'm, I'm a, a 3D scoffer. The 3D was done well. Uh, Captain America in 3D was annoying and badly done. It was terrible. Uh, the, the Avengers in 3, their 3D is done very tastefully, and it didn't give me a headache, and <clears throat> there wasn't anything I looked at and went, that can't exist in nature. Well, you see a lot of 3D movies for a scoffer. Well, you know, if it's out there, I go see it uh, in 3D because I, I'm, I like to criticize. I like to have something to complain about. Honestly. Good for you. <laughs> I'm still waiting for 3D to go away, but I think I'm fighting a losing battle at this point. Mm-hmm. Actually, in this case, I would have seen the 2D, but uh, the theater I went to was playing in like six theaters, and the only one that wasn't sold out for the next three shows was 3D. So, gotcha. Same with, with uh, Captain America. I, 3D was the only option, so that's what I saw it in. Most of the time, I try to skip 3D. Okay. Cool. Moving right along to something <laughs> people listening to the show might actually care about. What? Uh, workflow. So, James, give us a definition of workflow. Oh, boy. Are you asking the wrong person about workflow? Well, that's not entirely true, I guess. There is a There is a flow. There is a... Uh, how do you get from the very beginning of an idea of a podcast all the way to hitting that submit button that sticks it RSS feed out there so that people can listen to it? And there is a flow. And, and it's, what's interesting about that, of course, and we'll talk about this today, is everybody seems to have a different way of doing it. And between all three of us, we already know that our three podcasts and the way we produce content is very different, especially because I'm doing some uh, some video. Steve has a lot of different podcasts, as do you, Mark, and and we do them different ways. Where we'll have video on during the podcast, and yet the podcast won't be video. But then, what do you do with the MP3 file? And all of those things together, I think, are are something that you're constantly honing. I think that'll be a good set of topics for today. Right, and and my definition of workflow is is the the 
set of steps you establish so that you can do things the same way at the same time. And that's what, that's what breeds, um, sanity. Because if it's different every time and if you're going to get different results and you never know what to expect and if you're always in a hurry, that's the thing that gets me. Scheduling, uh, is important because it keeps you from always being in a hurry and, and you're not always cramming for the test the night before. So that's why I think workflow is critical. It was actually, you know, getting my workflow down and streamlining everything that allowed me to do more than one show. And then I started doing two shows and three, then four, then five. It wasn't as hard as um, you would think because I had the system in place. So, Okay. So the first thing that I want to talk about is scheduling. And there's a couple of categories of scheduling. There's scheduling uh, for with your hosts or co-hosts, if you're going to have those, scheduling with your guests, uh, scheduling when you're going to release the show scheduling when you're going to record the show uh and all that sort of thing so uh let's just take it um well let me ask you this question which do you guys think is more important do you schedule um the recording first and and what works with your guests and your hosts or do you schedule uh when you're going to release it and work backwards from that which would you do steve hmm i think um the main way to keep your sanity is to schedule the recording. I think it, I think it takes priority because if, especially if you have multiple hosts on the show, that's the point where everybody's going to have to agree on when they're all going to be there and when it's going to get done. And if you know you're doing it every week, um, it's it's really really saves your sanity when everybody knows where to be and what time and you know and. Uh, releasing this show, I don't have a definite date. I know you do. I try to do it on Sundays, release all my shows, but it's not written in stone. But recording to me is um, takes more importance. Also because that's when you have live listeners and live watchers there waiting for you to be on. So you have kind of an obligation to do that. Right. If you're ever going to build a live audience, you have to be consistent. You have to record at 9 p.m. Uh, Friday morning or whatever time it is. You have to be consistent about that because otherwise nobody will ever know. If you tell them, watch my Twitter stream and you'll know when we're recording, you know, that's, that's not going to build an audience. James, your comments? Well, I don't have any guests on the one podcast that I have, uh, but the hosts, it's, it's me and my wife and, uh, we do have to make sure that we set aside a particular time when there are no things that have to be done for the house. Because when we are both working on that podcast, obviously nothing else is getting done in the house. We got to make sure that there are no tasks to be done, that no kids need to be delivered to any particular thing, that there's everything is, is right with the world. Um, no caulking I, needs to be done. No caulking is there. No tape needs to be removed. There is um, uh, something I do. I do once a month on a Saturday. I do a study group. Um, I usually do two different study groups during the, the, the month. And they only are happening once a month. There's, there's two different groups. So really, I'm doing two of these study groups, one on one Saturday, one on another. They're always on a Saturday. They're always at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And I've stuck with that. And I think that's an important part when you're setting up this idea of having a live event, especially that you are consistent at when that's going to be. Yeah, and we've we've talked about this before. When you're bringing guests into the equation, don't ask them when they can be there. Tell them when you do it. And if they can be there, awesome. If not, they won't be a guest on your show. Yeah, that's pretty much how I've handled it, unless it's a very high-profile guest. 
Exactly. You know, if, if you're interviewing Barack Obama, naturally, you're going to go by his schedule. But for the most part, uh, if you, we're talking about saving your sanity here, and you're the one who's doing all this stuff. You're the one who's here week in, week out. Um, your hosts, you know, may or may not. They may actually uh, may pop in from time to time. Uh, you know, it's not uncommon for, for me to, like tonight, two of the four hosts on, on the Everyday Linux show that I do weren't there. So, and that's fine, but you're the guy who has to be there every time. So you got to make sure a schedule works for you and will consistently work for you. Yeah. It was just you and Dor on Everyday Linux? Uh, no, uh, uh, Seth was there. So, ah. but uh, Aaron and Chris were not. Aha. Uh-huh. So there you go. I'm, I'm endeavoring to stop saying so, so often. So if, if I say so, somebody throw something at me. Okay. <laughs> uh, and we, we did talk about post uh, or uh, release schedule. And, and I think it's important to leave yourself lead time between recording and release. Uh, you know, Steve says that he uh, tries to release on Sunday. When is the latest in the week that you record a show, Steve? Um, Thursday. Okay. So you, got, you gave yourself two days to to do your post-production work uh james we've talked before on your podcast you try to get stuff up that same day if, as much as possible right only have one podcast um it's done and recorded immediately i can stick it in the video editor right after we're finished because there's nothing else going on it's on a saturday morning uh makes it very easy to to push out as quickly as possible so i'll often have it done by the end of the day or the beginning of the next or at least have it out sometime during that weekend yes I always leave myself, or I try to always leave myself, at least two days. Um, it doesn't take two days to do a show. In fact, you know, I can probably do it generally in 30 to 40 minutes for the most part. Uh, but I like to leave myself time. For example, for this show, for example, we record, uh, we finish up generally 11 or 11.30 my time. I'm not going to edit the show tonight. I'm going to go to bed and then get up and go to work tomorrow. So uh, tomorrow is the soonest I'd be able to get to it. Um, that's on Monday. We release on Wednesday. So I give myself Monday and Tuesday uh, for this show so, because something may come up tomorrow. And if I miss that, I miss my release date. So I try to give myself at least two days whenever possible to release a show, sometimes more. Some of uh, One of our shows, uh, the, uh, the health and fitness podcast we do called One Meal, One Workout, we record 10 days in advance just because that's how it worked out. We ended up banking an extra show so we're a show ahead. So we record uh, on Wednesday and release the Friday the next week. And so that's awesome. I've got plenty of time to work on that. Yeah. But for me, I, I would say two days. If you're, if you're not doing this professionally, if this is not the only thing you do, uh, two days is, is kind of minimum to maintain a buffer there. If you're anal about release dates. If you don't really care, if you get it out when you get it out, then it doesn't matter. But for me, yeah. on Wednesday, midnight server time Wednesday this show is going to go out without exception it's going to happen well yeah I don't want to disappoint my five viewers so I try to get it out on schedule I understand (laughs) plus um you know we do multiple shows so it's good to have that that breathing room in between each one it's it's also like I've I don't think I've ever tried to actually edit my show after as immediately after I record it and release it because you just don't feel like it after you did the entire show to listen back to it again or listen back to certain parts of it. It's a really good idea to give yourself that breathing room. And it's like trying to make, 
it's like trying to drive down to Florida from, from Philly in one shot and not take any breaks. You know, it's, it's like 12 hour trip straight through. You just, you, you do a better job looking at uh, editing your podcast when you're more refreshed, you know? I agree. Um, anything else to say about scheduling? Um, I forgot to do all my shows tonight now that we mention it. I forgot to edit <laughs> and release my shows. <laughs> I guess I'll have to wait until tomorrow. So you'll be staying up till 2 o'clock in the morning. You won't be able to make any Walmart <laughs> runs tonight. You'll be editing instead. Yeah, that's, thanks for reminding me, though. All right. I pre- you should put that in your calendar. <laughs> I got to do that. I actually have that, and it's on the website at lmop.com. I have a calendar of, of when we record and when the shows are released. Uh, and that's that calendar is for my benefit. I just publish it in case anybody else cares. But if we uh, move a show, we schedule for whatever reason, I'm, I do it in the calendar. I live by Google Calendar. Uh, just because that's the way it works for me. I don't put editing in there. That's not in the calendar. I just know that the deadline is X, so I have to move back a little bit from X to make sure I get editing done. Yeah, yeah, you put your deadlines up there. That's, that's good. I mean, it, I think if I did that too, I would be more forced to get them out. So, Yeah, early on when I was doing my first show, the Taiwan Tech, um, there were a couple of times I, before I was scheduling things, I literally just forgot you know, Wednesday, the show comes out on Thursday. Wednesday came, and I just forgot to do it. Like, you forgot. You were talking today. Um, and I would get to work, and uh, I, my email inbox would have, not tons, not dozens, but there'd be two or three people saying, hey, I looked on my podcast player this morning, and your show's not there. What's going on? And then I realized there at least there's somebody out there for whom it's important to. Right. Cool. Moving on from... Uh, scheduling is sort of a hidden thing when you set out to be a podcaster you also end up being a webmaster you may not intend to do that that wasn't in the job description you said hey i want to be a podcaster i want to record stuff and edit it and play with gadgets and then turns out you got to be a webmaster too so you got to figure out some sort of workflow to get all that stuff done and so some of the topics are you know you've got to you got to add content like your shows you got to publish those you got to get them out there but also it's ideal uh, if you can, to add auxiliary content to your site, not just your shows. But you've got to update whatever it's running on. If it's WordPress or it's Drupal or it's, you know, um, Microsoft front page, <laughs> whatever it's running on, you've got oh, to have man. something. Uh, you've got to update that from time to time. And then you've got to back it up and you've got to make sure that all that stuff is secure. So how do you guys go about uh, scheduling that sort of stuff? Uh, James, we'll start with you. You know, you bring up a good point. Uh, having a website and maintaining a website is something people do who don't even have a podcast. And it's, it's almost a full-time job in, in doing that. There's a lot of moving parts, uh, especially if you have to worry about other aspects of maintaining it. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, I have a number of different websites as well. Each one of mine, we've talked about this before, is you want each one of my pieces of content has its own website. And for better or worse, that's the way that I've preferred to roll it out. So What A Week has its own podcast. The Professor Messer stuff has its own podcast. The Mobile Classroom has its own podcast uh, website. So each one of those websites is an independent entity. And you're right, it, it sure helps if you have extra content to put in there. But sometimes you're just trying to keep up with the podcast content. There's no time to write that article that would be really great or post that thing that would be really great. I think in many ways, things like Google Plus and Facebook pages and and those types of social media tweets have a nice 
nice filler material to keep people involved in what's going on, even if you're not writing full-blown pieces of content. Do you think it's a good idea to embed that stuff in your website? Yeah, stick it on the side, put a little widget there. Maybe it's not a full article right in the middle, but it's something that people can see as they're flipping through what's already existing on the website and see, oh, we tweeted something six hours ago on this thing. At least they know that I'm alive and I, I am available and the content of the website's updating. At least that section of it's a little bit fresh all the time. Yeah, and on my pages, I have a big follow us button, but I don't embed any of the other content. Um, if I could embed Google+, Plus, I'd probably do that because I do more on Google+, Plus than anyone else, but that's a whole different discussion. Um, uh, Steve, did you have anything to say about uh, website stuff? Sure, but uh, why why add extra content for SEO or just to to make your site more complete? Yeah, just I to, don't. just to value add uh, to be more than just a podcast. I I don't do it often, but I think it's a good idea that if I find something uh, a question that's asked often, you know, I'll I'll, put, I'll write an article about that and put it up there. Or if it's a, a content that I think might be interesting to my audience, I put that up there. Uh, however, I will say. Don't ever put it in the same feed as your podcast feed. I, I subscribe to a couple of podcasts who mix their blog and, R and podcast RSS feeds. Right. That annoys me to no end. Don't do that. Right. Your audience uh, won't there, like that. Yeah. But there actually is also an option in FeedBurner if you use that for your feed to um, only publish the video, I think the audio or video, whatever. Like you, you don't, it would, it would not put into the feed the articles. But well, that's nice. Anyway, um, yeah. First of all, I want to say you, you technically don't have to be a webmaster if you can get someone else to do it. Who's That's willing. true. That's true. So if you absolutely don't want to have a website, you don't have to. You just get somebody else to do it. I mean, get to maintain a website. Just get someone else to do it, and you could just focus on podcasting. I think ideally for a lot of us, like Mark said last week about Scott Wilkinson on Twit, um, it'd be great to just sit in front of the mic and have everybody else around you you know, feeding you what you need to be fed and getting everything all aligned for you. But yeah, if you're starting out, you're probably going to have to do everything. Um, as far as maintaining a website, yeah, I, I had, when I first did my first podcast, Podnuts, I had one website and then I started a, web, a podcast called Podnuts Daily and I actually made a separate website for that. And then when I started to do my third show, I'm like, let me just consolidate everything. So I, um, I downloaded Drupal, installed that, on my web server, figured out how to use it, which was two weeks of grueling hell yes. in my life. Um, but I finally figured it out the way, and I was able to customize it the way I wanted to. And once I did, I realized what a powerhouse Drupal is for content. It's so customizable. It's just, there's so many cool things you could do with it. But it was really, really a pain of intensive study to figure it out. <laughs> Um, and it works. It's, it's a great way to manage multiple podcasts with using Drupal. So um, I like consolidating all, all your shows if, um, if they're all somewhat related. Like, you know, if we got Muriel doing the Quilting Hour show and yes. me doing a computer show, I would make separate sites for them. But if the content is somewhat similar and it all fits, I would glom them all into one site and start a network. Muriel is becoming a recurring character on this show. Um, I, I am a webmaster as as part of my day job as well. That's one of the things that I do. So I, I have been doing this uh, web page stuff for as long as there have been web pages, pretty much. Wow. So, um, so you're using front page? Yes, I am. I, actually, I use Notepad. Real, real webmasters use Notepad. Uh, 
I actually I was complaining just before we go on the show about my WYSIWYG editor because it wasn't quite working. And James was like, I never use those. I use plain text and I type in the HTML tags. I'm better than you are because of that. James, you, the- you use text? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, man. That's impressive. That's just how I roll. <laughs> yeah, in the in the uh, oh, chat room, we're having Vi or Nano. Yeah, no. Sorry, I'm not going to go there. At least you didn't say Vim. Uh, I'm a or Vim Emacs. guy, yes. Anyway, I I find that scheduling, uh, automating as many things as possible. We've we've talked about that before. Automation will save your life. My site automatically backups. There are scripts uh, backs up. There are scripts I've written that do that. My site automatically publishes content. I have to push it up there. It schedules the release. And and Drupal and WordPress and all of these things will do that. They'll let you uh, schedule things ahead of time, uh, and 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 do that. So. Count on automation as much as possible, but for it's on my calendar that the first of the month is my backup update uh, fix widgets day. Uh, and if there's a, a, a major security update that I have to do in the meantime, I will. But the first of the month, I do that. So 12 times a year, I'm updating my site, and that's when major uh, updates happen. And I think that if you, uh, you know, set yourself a schedule and automate as much as possible, it doesn't have to be as big a deal. But these are tricks that I've learned, again, from I manage dozens of websites, not just one. So these are tricks that I've learned over the years from doing all sorts of stuff. You probably won't have the, you know, the, the bash scripting skills that I do, and you won't know how to run a, a cron script on a regular basis. But to learn that, just like Steve learned Drupal, Put your effort into learning automation on the web host side, and a lot of them will have stuff built into cPanel. You can do all sorts of cool stuff there. But uh, learn that stuff, and it will save you some sanity. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, I got to learn some of those tips from Mark, actually, because I don't have any um, much automation going on, but I do have templates I set up, at least for my show. So when I do actually produce a show and publish it, that template is just uniform, and it looks the same for all the shows. That was difficult to do but once it got done it got done one one other quick thing on websites before um we move on or if james wants to add anything else um graphics on your website the the artistic look of your website the aesthetics of it some of us can do that and are good at doing graphics and can make professional looking graphics some of us don't have that skill yet or don't have that in us naturally yet if you're one of the people that you, you can't make a, a graphic as nice as you want it to be, get someone to do it for you because that your website is really going to reflect on you. And if the professionalism isn't there, um, you're not going to be able to get the respect and the big time guests um, when they see your site. They're going to look like they're going to say, "Wow, what was this made in front page?" So if you really want to make your website look nice, either get some templates for whatever uh, system you're using, WordPress or Drupal, with some nice graphics on it. Get somebody to make you a logo that's good at art. And um, keep your site looking as professional as possible. Comments, James? There are, uh, you were talking about automation. There, there are a lot of people in the same boat as needing automated backups, needing automated way to do some of these things who don't have and don't want to learn the process of scripting at the command line level on their web server. And fortunately, a lot of these these packages like WordPress and Drupal have plugins 
that are specifically designed to do automation of these things. I use some automated plugins on mine for doing a number of backups of my database. It's actually a secondary backup of my database that it does. I do another one down at the command line. Uh, I also have things like uh, daily tweets and Facebook posts that go out automatically. It's the pop quizzes I do every day. Those are loaded up on a third-party service, and they just pump them out automatically. I just schedule them. It's a pretty web front end. I, it asks, when do you want to send it? I put in a date and time. It asks, what content do you want to send? I, I paste in the content. I click OK, and I'm done. So if you have a way to automate, it makes life so much simpler. And adding to that, I use a service, a couple of different services, that anytime a show goes live, it's tweeted and put on Facebook and, and that stuff too. That, that sort of cross-pollination is a good thing. Uh, just be careful not to overdo it. You don't want people to think there's not a human at the helm. Good point. And the next thing, uh, speaking of uh, at the helm, uh, is your community. How do you manage being a part of community and the community contributions? Uh, th this is a good problem to have. It's a, it's a symptom of success. So if you start getting a lot of email or a lot of voicemails or a lot of forum posts, you've got to stay up on, uh, on top of that. And, and I, I say you have to stay on top of that. I think that is incumbent on the podcast host to be a part of his community and be managing his community. Don't, don't outsource that. Yes, have mods in your forum that, that handle stuff, but you need to be there and you need to be active. Um, and that can be a challenge, finding a way to put that into your daily schedule. I've heard uh, successful, you know, uh, podcasters who have uh, hundreds of thousands of listeners say that, you know, they could, if they if they managed everything uh, manually, spend 8, 10, 12 hours a day just responding to forum posts and emails. So uh, any tips for how to do that uh, and stay sane? Uh, James, how about you? It's kind of a difficult one to do indeed because there's no, there's not just one thing. There's not one community in one place. You now have the Google Plus community. You have the Facebook community. You have your Twitter users. And you have people in all three of those. Some of them overlap. Most of them don't because many people prefer doing one over another. And then you have to deal with how do you bring some of these things together to a single place? And that could be a challenge too. But fortunately, you've got your website and that is a central place. So a lot of the things that you might uh, uh, that you might put out for people to know about, you can bring them all back to your website as a central repository. And a lot of the things you can do on your website, you can centralize for community there as well. Um, but but it also means that you have to think about different ways of communicating. Maybe you would like to have a forum so that you can have a long term documentation of what people are talking about. Maybe you don't want a form. Maybe just like online chat. Maybe you'd like both of those. And you have to think about in your mind, what do you want that community to be? How do you want them to interact? Because that's going to now have, a, have an impact on you managing a set of forms, on you managing a set of real-time chats, of you managing and maintaining whatever community you're going to set up. All right, uh, Steve, any comments from you? Yeah, um, I guess the way to stay sane as far as handling the community is, for me, I make it clear that there's the, the best way to contact me is through email. And usually if I don't get a communication through that, I, I, I don't answer it. I, I don't really answer YouTube comments or Vimeo comments or tweets. Um, but I state in my shows, like, if you want to contact me, just send an email to mail at podnuts.com. And 
even in my forums, if somebody sends me a private message, I will get emailed that I have a private message. So everything, I try to filter everything that I want to answer into an email, and then I, I try, and I think I do a pretty good job of answering every email I get as far as from my listeners and forum posts. Um, but because it all comes through that one channel, email, it keeps me sane because that's what I check every day. I check my email. Um, and that's... I think you should definitely have an open line to all of your listeners and allow them to contact you, especially when you're starting out. But like Mark said, when you get maybe up to 100,000 or more listeners and you can't handle it, you have to find another way to, uh, to answer the folks. And if that means getting someone to answer your emails or however you want to do it, just don't, don't go crazy killing yourself spending eight to nine hours a day just answering emails unless that's something you just love to do. So, yeah, I, I use email as my medium, and that's my preferred way of communicating. And I have the email is where I work, too. And when somebody goes to the forums at lmnopi.com and posts something, I have one of the rules that uh, Drupal lets you do. You can create uh, arbitrary rules for anything. Anytime something is commented, I get an email, uh, and I see that. So, And the email has the link directly to the forum post. So I see it, I see the content of it, and I can click one button and go reply to it. So there are tricks you can do to to do all that. Twitter and Facebook both will email you when somebody posts something, so you can do that. Um, but there are other tools as well, other things about the community. You, you've got your chat rooms, and uh, Steve, your community is big on on TeamSpeak, and there are other things like that. How do you uh, do? You participate in those other mediums, or do you let that be your community without you? Me well, the problem with me is. I started my show about computer repair, when I, and that was when I had a computer repair business. I no longer have a computer repair business, and I haven't had one for a couple years now. But the people that are listening to my shows are very much still in the computer repair. So that's what they want to talk about. It almost goes over my head now when I join conversations with them about that, or it's just something I don't know much about anymore. Um, so for me, I don't contribute in the team speak in the chat rooms, but I don't think that that's right. Uh, if you're starting a podcast about a subject and you're passionate about it and your listeners uh, are there and you set up these these things for them to communicate with each other, I think it's a really good idea to get in there and communicate with them. Plus, they actually really appreciate you going in there and they're really happy to see you a lot of times. It makes you feel good. You have a little group of friends that are all around and they want to ask you questions and you talk to them and you learn stuff from them. So in my early days when I did was still in the business, I did contribute more and it was great. It, it actually breathes life in your community when you're there making sure that just everything's like observing everything that's going on and contributing to it. it. It gives your community life. So I highly recommend it. Now, one last thing. I, I, I never want to take credit for this because I didn't do anything to set up this TeamSpeak chat room that a lot of the PodNuts guys have start up, started up, um, especially a listener named Fubar Johnny who uh, wanted to start it up. He Pay, he's paying for the server and he's actually running the TeamSpeak chat room. They did it all on their own. So even though they titled it the PodNuts TeamSpeak, it's their baby. And um, there's been so many cool conversations and help given back and forth in that chat room that I think, you know, uh, uh, IRC chat is cool, but an actual chat where you actually have people talking to each other, sit, it's sitting around like a, in a virtual bar almost or a virtual room just hanging out with people. Um, it was really something that took off and people were really enjoying it and finding it helpful. So anything like that you could set up for your guys, I'd say definitely do it. 
I agree. I have uh, a chat room and an IRC room that's embedded on the website, and and I have clients. Anytime I'm at a computer, I'm in the Element OP chat room. That doesn't mean I'm actively engaged in it. You know, I I, I do have a day job and I'm there, but I'm fortunate that my employer uh, is lax about that, and I'm I'm able to uh, participate in those things. So I have the the chat room there, and I do pop in and and I I monitor the conversations and uh, I chime in when it's appropriate. If somebody asks me a question, I try to answer it. Uh, I think that is an important thing to do. But also, you know, your listeners have to understand that there are many of them and there are one of you. And uh, as long as you um, make that clear to them, and they know that, but sometimes they need reminders of that. And it's there's not there's no shame in saying, I just don't have time to get to you. I'll get to you when I can. Just be honest. Be transparent about that. Yeah. James, what are your comments? Well, sometimes you can, can set things like that up to be... Uh, something that you can easily take care of because it does take time to look at your emails or look at your Facebook page or check your tweets or look at Google+. Plus. Each one of those things needs a little bit of input and not everything in the world, uh, even if, if some of that comes through email, not everything comes through email, but if you set it up the right way and you have just a daily set of maintenance that you do to go through some of these sections and make sure they're at least all up to date and everything's working the way it should. And then some of these really are conducive to you going out during the day. And when you have a moment where you're in an elevator, you're waiting for a plane or you're doing something else, you can check your tweets very quickly. And I have a number of conversations that I do back and forth where I'll simply at a person's name and talk to them directly with questions that come in. And that's just a really quick way to handle things. It's certainly much more efficient than email. And it's things that I can take care of when I'm just spending time idling or not doing something productive. I, I scheduled these two people to be on this show, Steve all by email and James mostly by Twitter. That's just how it worked. I tweeted James, hey, I'm, I'm putting together a show. You want to be part of it? I sent Steve an email uh, because I knew that that's where those two guys live. And yeah, it, it did work. And it happened over the course of a few days, but maybe seven or eight minutes of actual interaction. It was just uh, that took place uh, 30 seconds here and, and 90 seconds there. And I think the longest conversation we all had together was when we dialed up to do the first show. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, everybody has their way that they like to communicate the most. And if you know it for that person, you can, you can really contact them easy. And I like the, the, what James talked about doing it every day. It's like house cleaning. And some of you probably aren't very good at that either. But if you, if you pick a day, uh, pick a, a thing and do something every day, it doesn't have to be a big deal. Like, you know, I, I have three children. There's five people in my house. If we don't do some laundry every day, the laundry monster uh, takes over the entire house. Uh, and so it's kind of the same way with, with this whole podcasting community thing. You have to do a little every day or it will become a monster that will eat you. Definitely. Do you want us to contribute more to that? <laughs> I'm just waiting. I'm just taking a break. Uh, <laughs> I, I could say, I could say something about that. Okay. Um, it's true, especially when, I when, um, Podnuts was, um, Really, I was putting a lot of attention on it, and it was going strong. I did do a little bit a day, and if you do a little bit a day, then you could add certain things you've always wanted to add, put a little store in there, sell merchandise. But if you um, continue to do daily maintenance on it, it does keep it controllable and keeps it fun, manageable. We have a comment in the chat room. It says, how we do it at Geeksters is nobody contacts us, so we don't have any problem. Communication problem solved. Uh, if you're putting <laughs> good content out, that will change. 
Uh, I rode that nobody contacts us wave for a long time, and then things started to ramp up, uh, and then you got to figure out how to manage it. So uh, have a plan ahead of time is, is helpful. And some marketing. Do some marketing. Well, let's go ahead and jump to that. We'll skip over oh, what we were going to do and, and talk about marketing since you brought it up. I didn't even up. notice that. There you go. So I didn't, I, didn't want, I didn't do that on purpose, Mark. I didn't want to skip over anything in the notes. <laughs> I don't mind. It's okay. We don't have to go in order. I'm not that rain man. So talk about a, a little bit about marketing. That's something I don't do well at all. Uh, and you guys both have more experience with it, James, professionally. Uh, I think, Steve, you too did it professionally for a while, right? So talk about marketing. What is What are some of the tasks you can do, and how can you uh, maintain your sanity with that? We'll start with you, Steve. Can we start with James on this one? Because I think he's more wise in this area. Okay. James? Boy, is that a mistake. Well, the, the thing about marketing is nobody really knows exactly the way it should be done, but there are... There's kind of these tried and true ideas that people use to get marketing for what you're doing. And, and some of them are conventional and some of them are absolutely non-conventional. Some of them you can do yourself very easily. You can start a mailing list on your website and have people sign up for a weekly newsletter, a daily pop quiz or whatever it happens to be. But one, one thing about marketing, it's never one thing. You can start with something like that. You may also want to create your Facebook page so that people have a place that you can, in, in that social world, connect with them while they are online and, and communicating with the rest of their friends. They can see messages from you pop up on their wall during their normal feed or whatever social networking you prefer to work with. So as, as these social networks have become more popular, we've had to add those pieces into the whole marketing piece of it. On top of that, you can, of course, sink some money into it. You can do advertising. Advertising these days is mostly revolving around Google, but there are some other places where you may be able to put some money and, uh, and get that type of visibility into. Sometimes advertising your podcast on another podcast is not a bad idea either. That way you can, at least something that's not a direct competitor, get some ideas and, and have people who are interested in that type of content come over to what you're doing as well. Um, sometimes, um, and especially with us uh, on this particular podcast, we have some of our own products to sell as well. So having, having another line of communication to the people that buy our products, we can say, oh, have you listened to The Art of Podcasting? I know it's a little bit different than what this product is, but there may be some interest since you are also looking at something that's similar to that. Um, it, it's, it's almost overwhelming when you try to put all of these things into a list, which is why you have marketing groups in, in these very large companies that are handling even individual aspects of it. You'll have a social networking person, somebody who handles outbound emails, somebody who handles communicating with live Events. That's a, that's another great one. Is having live events that people can participate in, having webinars, having study groups, or whatever it happens to be. All of these combined together, and you can do as much of it as you'd like, or you can do as little of it as you'd like. Anything is going to help get you along the way and let people be more aware of the podcast or the thing that you're putting together. You you, you made some, uh, a comment there. I want to glom onto a little bit. You said uh, a direct competitor. Are there competitors in the podcast market uh i'm not sure that i that i accept that there are do people i, I understand that you have a, a limited number of hours in the day for podcast listening so you might choose one over another but are there people really out there who are competitors yes. to you or is it just oh, a yeah. preference thing 
Oh no, there, there's there is. Go ahead, Steve. We you know we like to freely give data, but there's some podcast hosts that don't want to do that. They don't want to promote other shows. They want their show to be the show. And I've I've seen and heard some guys that actually do that. And I'm not going to name any names. So there are people that, in, at least in their mind, they're your competitor. That for you, they might not be a competitor to you, but they're compete. They know they're competing with you, so they won't talk about your show or they won't mention you. Um, they might steal some of your content. It's it's out there. Now this um, this is not talking about anybody I know and I'm friends with. So if anybody's getting uh, is out there, I'm. It's no, mainly tell us the, names, in, Steve. Go ahead. It's mainly in the, <laughs> the Linux. I, I found it in the Linux podcasting world. Uh, strangely enough, that's where I found it. So um, the no open bu- source guys like to steal stuff. It seems like some of those Linux uh, podcasts won't really like to keep to themselves. I don't know. That's that's what's what I get. So, yeah, there are. I'm just trying to make the point that there are people competing against you, whether you know it or not. So yeah, don't be surprised. Maybe that's, maybe that's why I'm so bad at this whole business thing, is I don't really get the whole competitor mindset. Yeah, uh, maybe I need to learn that, but uh, yeah. I don't know. I just don't look at it that way. If somebody, uh, well, Steve, would you, who would you and who would you not accept an ad from? James mentioned, you know, running ads on other podcast networks. Somebody came to you with a check. Uh, who would you absolutely not take the check from? Like if a company came to you with a check? Right. Uh, another podcaster. Spe- another specifically podcast. podcast. Hmm. If they came with a check, <laughs> that's one thing. If they came where, where they said, look, you talk about my podcast on your show and I'll talk about your podcast on my show. That's a different thing. Um, I like to look for something that's, you know, mutually beneficial. Um, some, I've had some approaches from people who want me to talk about their show and they just started or they have one listener and their exchange was, I'll, you know, plug your show on my show. So it, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be too inclined to, uh, to do that until they got on their feet and maybe had a bigger audience. Um, it has to, but if you know if they're willing to pay for advertising, that's kind of a different story. But I also don't promote products I don't believe in, so I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't take a check from a lot of people to be honest. I have to test the product, make sure I like it, make sure it's good, and then I will promote it. And that's what I've done on ads for my site. I also make a lot of my own products, and I promote them on my own site. But yeah, if a, if a podcaster came up to me and he just started out and his, I listened to his show and it's not good and he wants to just do an exchange of like promotion, I'm not into it. You know, that has to, he's got to up his game a little bit. I think you hit the answer right there. If it's not good. I've had a couple of different opportunities where people want to do a link exchange or you mm-hmm. come be a guest on my show and I'll come be a guest on your show. And I've listened to their stuff and I, I don't think it's good quality. And I just don't want to do it. There was there was one guy. It was a, a Linux cast, uh, and uh, it was clearly a, a very young person, probably high school age or, or maybe early college. Uh, and I listened to a couple of their shows. They only had maybe twenty of them anyway. And they approached me and said, you know, we want to do some sort of cross promotion thing. And generally, when somebody's offering cross promotion, they want to benefit from you way more than you're going to benefit from them. Uh, so I listened to it, and I just didn't like their content at all. And that was a difficult response to make. And in fact, I didn't. I, I punted and I just didn't respond to the email. <laughs> uh, that, that's not professional. Don't do that. But rather than saying, hey, kid, your stuff is crap, um, I just didn't respond. 
Uh, and, you might get the picture from your non-response. Right, probably did. I have I have uh, solicited a number of rather high-profile guests who uh, gave me the answer of silence. So you know, I've I've experienced it from both ends. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tricky marketing. I think you have the right mindset, though, Mark. You know, being being free and open and willing to talk about other shows. It gets you. It gets you far. I mean, Jordan or Geek is the perfect example of this. He will plug any show that he believes in. If he likes a person, he will. He will talk about them. He's done it so many times. I can't. The things that he plugged is just amazing. And he goes on different shows and he he puts himself out there. And that I think I think personally that him outflowing like that and being so free with um, talking about things that he likes with no. Uh, thought of whether they're a competitor or not has actually pulled in a lot of good things for him where um, it's come back to him. You know, it's come back to him where they, maybe people have asked him on their shows or he's gotten out there. Or people have asked him if he wants to do a, uh, do a product or something. I don't know. I think it, what you outflow with that, it'll come back to you in a good way. So I think he's a perfect example of that. It's, it's such a tightrope. The, the one key thing that you guys have mentioned over and over is that uh, you, the things that you promote are things you really have to believe in. You really have to like the products, whether you recognize it or not. Anytime you're mentioning an advertiser's product, it has an impact on how people view you personally. So you have to be very particular about those. I have one organization that I work with, that I've partnered with, that I've seen their products, that I've worked with them, that I've been to their offices that type of thing is pretty important. And I think that uh, if you're, you're planning to do any type of advertising, and whether it's a little bit or whether it's a lot, you have to believe in the product and the service that that particular organization is offering. And if you don't, you have no integrity and you shouldn't be advertising products anyway. Exactly. Absolutely. I've gotten, I've been on the on the borderline of this, and I've gotten in trouble every time I stepped. I, I lost my integrity on something, gotten in trouble every time. So it's not worth it. Um, stick to your guns, no matter how much it, it looks like it might benefit you, like monetarily, if that is a word. Um, and and just stick with your integrity. I think we should do Mark. I think one of our shows should be all about marketing. I think in the future, I can talk a bunch about right. that too. I, I will add that to the notes right now. Um, I think it's interesting we're having this discussion, you know, uh, nobody has offered me money for anything yet. So, uh, you know, I joke often that my integrity is entirely for sale. I can be bought. I will advertise anything you say if you write a, bi a big enough check. Fact is, I won't. But uh, I'm just waiting for somebody to try to take me up on the offer. Let me ask you this, because I, I, when I started, I started getting advertisers when I actually put a link on my site saying that I accept advertisers. And I put a page on there with... Leo actually told me this. I called him up one time and he actually told me to do this. Put a, or put a page on your site that has all your PR information, you know, things that you want advertisers to know about you. And um, this way it could answer a lot of their questions just by them going to your site and then they could contact you. But um, you need to promote it just like you would like anything else. I'm not sure if you do that. No, I don't. And uh, the reason, there, I mean, there's a reason we haven't is we're still gathering audience data and we didn't want to put something out there and then not have anything to back it up. Gotcha. So, that, uh, you know, in the less than a year ago, we launched this network uh, with several different shows. And so we're still gathering data and, and that's sort of our plan. Once we have a year worth of data and we can show a trend of growth and that sort of thing, then we'll do that. Cool. 
And that's my partner, Sean, who came up with that because I suck at the whole marketing thing. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think I suck at it if I actually put attention on it. I just don't like to do it. That's why I think a lot of my expansion has not as been as fast as it could have been. It says I don't enjoy marketing too much. <laughs> it's my downfall. Any other comments before we leave this subject? This has been uh, more. Oh, uh, yeah, there was a question I wanted to ask. Uh, how do you feel about joining networks of you know the uh of link share and and like the the tech podcast network is one that comes to mind uh do you see value in that uh and what is the value and at what point do you decide to do it or not to do it uh steve we'll start with you on this one it depends on the network it's it's all about the quality of the network if that quality of the network is up to par for you and you you think that the shows on there are shows that you would listen to and and that you like and enjoy i think it's cool to 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 join a network definitely but um if have you, have you, you do have any experience with it have you tried it um i haven't found anything any networks out there yet that i uh wanted to become part of all right so i started my own Mark Twain said, um, I don't want to be a part of any organization that would have me. So maybe that's the situation. <laughs> if their standards are that low, they don't want me. Uh, James, what about you? I think a lot of people join these, these networks, uh, link exchanges when you mentioned those types of things, because it has a search engine optimization aspect to it. And, and I think in a lot of ways, the way, or at least the way I feel about SEO, is I really feel like um, if you're spending time trying to to game the SEO in a way that's going to get you higher feedback, then you're not getting quality SEO to begin with. You're, you're going about it the wrong way. You really should be creating quality content, building a, a native group of an organic group of people who are listening and watching what the content that you're creating. And then the SEO simply builds on itself because they're going to start linking to you. So if you're going about it as I'm going to get a much more popular because I'm doing these link exchanges may not be the best idea for what you're shooting for. If you're looking to really build a, a nice network of very similar podcasts or something that can be um, d diverse between those two, like, like Steve mentioned, maybe it would be a good idea. I personally have never seen uh, a case where I felt comfortable with that. So I have not joined any of those. And I haven't either for the same reason. I just haven't, um, the, the things that are out there, uh, like the, the one that I, that I mentioned is, uh, the tech podcast network. There are so many out there that my, any link feedback I would get from them would be so minimal because there's just too many. Um, and the ones that are elite, um, <laughs> I don't, I don't qualify for it. No, not really. <laughs> it's it's true. just, uh, I just, uh, I just haven't found anything that I thought would actually, I mean, even if it's just 10 seconds of me saying, uh, I'm part of the, um, fat guy network. If you're fat, you belong here. Um, I, I've never, I, even that like five seconds has value to it. And I've never seen anything that would even give me a rate of return on that five seconds of my showtime. Yeah. I mean, some of the benefits of joining those networks is you get group bot, group advertiser buys. So you don't have to go find advertisers because the network actually provides you with advertisers and says, if you want to put this ad in your show, we'll write you a check, you know, depending on how many people download your show. So if you want to make some money, it might be helpful. But for me, it's an integrity point. If it's, if the quality of that network's not up to par, then don't become part of it. And, and also there's, you can't, 
guarantee the quality of the other stuff on the network. Exactly. Because you're not in charge of saying who gets in and who doesn't. That's it. So circling back just a little, oh, there was so, somebody throw something at me. Circling back just a little bit, uh, let's talk about publishing. The, the act of packaging your stuff up and getting it out there for people to download. How, what is your workflow for that? Uh, James, we've talked about this a little bit when we talked about your uh, uh, processes and how you do things, but just run over that because I think yours is probably the most complicated. What is your um, workflow and how have you uh, managed to maintain sanity in packaging up your stuff after all the editing and all the post-production and everything is done? Well, there's no sanity involved certainly but but i come close um i have both audio and video for most everything that i do by choice so i've got a uh, a set of scripts that i run against the content that i've created when i finally produce my final version of content it's almost always a video file and it's usually a very very high quality video file in the in the gigabytes of size so let's say i've got a 30 minute podcast it's a two gig video file. I can't distribute that. Nobody's going to download a two gig file over a 30 minute time frame. So a lot of the things that I have to do are to split these up and say, let's take the video part, the video and audio, if somebody's going to watch it as that video content and compress it down into a bit rate and a size that makes sense for what they're going to do. That's, that's the a size they're also going to be able to download ultimately. But then I've also got to think about my audio-only listeners that can care less about the video. They just want to hear what's going on. And so there's a completely separate number of scripts that handles the, the, the audio-only piece of it. So I've usually got multiple renderings and multiple uh, uh, configurations, conversions going on at one time. Because usually there are different tools that do video rendering. And there's different tools to do audio rendering. The reason they're different is because they have different emphasis and they work in a different way. And usually they're very good at what they do, but they're very focused on what they do. And most of the time you can do these, almost always you can do these at the command line. So that allows you to start scripting things. I can tell my little script program, look for anything in this directory that happens to be this type of file. And if you find it, convert it into a video file with these particular parameters. And then I've got my audio uh, conversion process that does exactly the same thing. Look for that video file, scrape off the video, take the audio, convert that down into a smaller size, package it up, and put these tags on it and stick it here in this directory. And and I, it's, it does involve a lot of work on the front end. And you do have to think about how am I going to uh, have the final version of this? And you almost work backwards. You almost work to the point of, let me create the final version of what I want it to look like and what size I want it to be. Okay, now let me create a script that's going to get me to that ultimately. So for me, it was a lot of trial and error on the very first episode. But once I had it, I knew exactly the format I wanted to put it in. And did you take meticulous notes along the way so that you knew, uh, like in when you had that final product, you knew exactly what it was? Oh, you have to because you're you're tweaking so many different things. If you've ever looked at audio and video a conversion process there's so many variables there is a, a a sampling rate there is a bit rate there are 
number of tracks you'd be configuring. So every time I would do a test, I would name the file with the parameters that I was using for that test. And then I'd create five different versions and then I'd listen to them or watch those five different versions and see if I liked or did not like what I was hearing. And it's interesting what I thought was going to be the right setting ended up not being the right setting. I'd listen to it and think that doesn't sound as good as I would like it to sound. Let's go up one with the bit rate. And I, it sounds a lot better. That's the bit rate I wanted to choose. And that's your trade off. It's a little bit bigger of a file, but it sounds better to me. And that's the quality that I want to put out. I, I will just say that I gave up caring about file size. And again, I don't do video, I only do audio. But uh, I assume, and probably it's a, an invalid assumption, but the one I work from is that anybody who is an active podcast listener has access to broadband and has enough storage to stuff on his uh, uh, space on his podcast player that whether I'm uh, 34 megs or 38 megs per episode isn't going to matter that much. You're not. You're like in the 60s. Yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> and that's I know this because we had, we, had this, we had this discussion about whether your joint stereo, you, you mix down the joint right. stereo and uh, whether that's the same as me mixing down the mono. And it's not. Your well, I didn't say it was the same as you mixing down the mono. I said it's the same as me. Uh, when you go uh, uh, using Audacity, there's almost no difference between the two. You use yeah. a different tool, so you're, it's yeah. obviously more optimized there. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, um, if you have issues, I said so again, somebody hit me. If you have issues with the size of my files, let me know. But uh, so far, nobody has said anything. And so I have probably larger files than I should. And I don't worry about it. Well, you're right. With audio, you've got some leeway there. But with video, you really don't. Yeah. Uh, I have to keep my podcast that I do to a particular length. I can't go an hour. I go 30 minutes. Um, I've got to have it compressed a certain way with a certain set of codecs that will be um, well viewed on many different platforms, but would still have a compression amount that would bring it down to a size that would not be unreasonable. And then on top of that, I have to think about how am I distributing this? Because distributing video, especially because it's much larger, means that I've got to think about a maximum amount of size or a maximum amount of content that's going to be transferred. So if you start getting into video, you become much more aware of the size of things and realize that you have to optimize it down to the nth degree so that you aren't wasting a lot of money and a lot of time when people are viewing this. Yeah, and the time will probably come when I care. I just don't get it. That's fine. Well, more power to James for doing video because I, I've, I know what he's going through because I tried to get that all set up for myself and I just said it wasn't worth it. <laughs> I do very little, uh, though, though I do all my podcasts with video, I do very little post-production on my video. Um, everything I record, everything I broadcast on video, it just gets automatically uploaded to uh, justin.tv. And there's a one button upload to YouTube link on that site that I click to basically send my video to YouTube. That's all I do. And I, I cut off the beginning and the end. So there's no pre-show and no post-show. It's just the meat of the show there. And uh, that's what I do for my video editing. Audio is a different story. If you want me to go over it, I'll go over it. Well, you did have something in the notes that you just changed the way you do it. What was the, the reason for that change? I think <clears throat> I was talking about compressing MP3s. I think James uh, just changed the way he does it. I did. I went from uh, it was the wrong um, color. Says I went me. <laughs> I went from a multi-track or, or stereo feed, uh, and I I piped it down to a, a mono, 
and dropped uh, the bit rate, but I kept the sample rate the same, which was 44,100, which is the same sampling rate as an audio CD. But um, because I was only now sending a single track, I could essentially cut the, the amount of bits in half, only one track instead of two, while well, I only have to use half the amount of space. And that allowed me to, to save a little bit of room. I publish everything on Libsyn, uh, Liberated Syndication, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. And what you pay for is a certain amount of space that you can upload every month. So once I hit that limit, I can't upload anything else. So I have to think about of the video and the audio, keeping it as small as possible. So I made that that single change. We're going to see how that works out. Uh, it may work out. It may not. We'll see uh, how things sound going forward. Yeah, that is, um, he basically, that's what I do. I, re- I save in mono, on my MP3s. When I make, actually mix it down to an MP3, I mix it down in mono, and it's actually 64 kilobits per second in mono. You got to be very, very careful about this because if you do one, uh, 64 kilobits in stereo, that's basically two channels of 32 bits. And the difference between that and a mono 64-bit is night and day. It, the, that's where your file starts to sound drastically different when you get to those real low bit rates. 64 mono is as low as I'll go um, where I'm happy with the quality. So when I do mix down my, to my MP3s, I use iTunes. I pick 64-bit mono. And do some tests if you guys want to mess around with this and see how these files sound when you mix them down. Try 128, try 64, try 32, and you'll, you'll hear the difference. 64 gives me a respectable file size. It's like my my shows end up being between 30 and 40 um, megabytes. And um, yeah, I think you're right, Mark. People don't really care anymore. But I think when I started, people did. So I just kept it the way I was going just to have manageable file sizes. And my ridiculously huge oversized files are uh, dumped down at 128K stereo. So that's why mine are twice the size of yours because twice the bit rate. Your 128 stereo. Yeah. yeah. I gotcha. I sure. ended up doing mono, but I ended up comparing 64,000 bits per second to 96,000 bits per second and found uh, actually a significant difference there. So I ended up having my bit rate at 96K rather than 64 because of the MP3 codec that I was using. And that's an important thing to consider. The, the codec that you use, the compressor decompressor that puts this into MP3 format, there are differences between different devices, different products that are saving this into the MP3 format. So you have to listen because if you save it in one program with a certain set of parameters and you save it in another program with exactly the same parameters, it's going to sound different if they're different codecs. It may be very minor. You may not even notice a difference, but there are differences between them. So make sure you listen in. Even if you know I'm always going to use 44,100 samples per second, I'm always going to use 64,000 bits per second as my, as my data rate. Make sure you test it and listen when you're changing between different applications. And I and using Audacity, which I've said many times I use, uh, the lame encoder, I didn't like the 96 or 64K uh, options. That's why I use 128K. If I switched over to YouTube, uh, uh, iTunes, YouTunes, if I switched over to iTunes uh, and used their codec, uh, I might like 64K better. Um, but then I'd have to load, I'd have to install that thing on my computer. I actually don't even have it installed on the, on the machine I edit on. Uh, I know it's, I feel the same way about iTunes. You don't want to install it unless you have to, but it's, 
it's been what I've used because the quality is different. I mean, I, I do all my mixing down. Um, after I record a show in Studio One, like we talked about before, Personas Studio One is the software I use. I use that program and I mix it to a I, I mix it down into a wave file, and then from that wave file I go to an MP3. So I always keep the wave as like the high quality master. Um, when I mix down an MP3, I've tried to use Studio One to mix down into MP3 for to keep it simple. And like James said, quality's different. iTunes for some reason does a really good job of making MP3 files. So. I've been sticking with that. So there you go. That was a that was a lot of discussion there, more than I thought. Yeah. <laughs> well, once you get us rolling, we keep talking. And we're uh, we've got a lot more in the notes, but I'm going to be respectful of the fact that we're uh, going really long here. So I want to hit uh, what I consider the most important thing, and it may not be, uh, but that's backups. Because it doesn't matter how well you edit a show, how good your uh, final product is, if you lose it and only have one copy of it. So, uh, Steve, what is your backup routine, and and how do you, what how does that fit into your workflow? Gosh, I don't have a strong backup routine. I I have my shows in a couple places. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes not. I'm the wrong person to ask this question. I'm reckless. I'm reckless. I admit it. Um, I always bank on the fact that I, when I record video, Justin TV automatically records everything I do. So I know I got a copy up there until they decide to take it down. I know I have a copy on a hard drive and sometimes I have two, sometimes I have three copies. I'm bad. I'm the wrong person to ask this. Well, Don't I, do actually, it. I think that's fine uh, that you do have a backup of every show that way. So that's not terrible. Yeah, but it's on somebody else's server who is not obliged to keep it for any length of time, and it's not good. Yeah, and the Ustream uh, is very, or Justin TV, I use Ustream, use Justin, uh, is very uh, low quality compared, uh, comparatively speaking. You know, uh, they, uh, it's video, and they're only interested in the audio of it, uh, or they're more interested in the video, not so much interested in the audio. So even if you download it and strip out the audio, which I have had to do uh, a few times, it's not going to be as good quality. It's it's over compressed and, and that sort of thing. So uh, I consider it a last resort backup, but it, I, I do yeah. consider it a, ba a valid backup. Uh, yeah, I've done it more than a few. I've done it more than a few times right. where I I had to download the Justin TV video just to get the audio off it because something happened to mine. Um, it's not as bad as for me. It's not too bad. Not as bad as you would think, but it is more compressed. Yeah. I, I did it just this last week. Actually, this week's uh, episode of the periodic table. Um, my recording about 150 or uh, an hour and 15 minutes in just kind of went nuts on audacity. And I don't know why. <laughs> Uh, and I had a local backup, but uh, uh, I wasn't local when I found the problem. So I downloaded it uh, from Ustream uh, and used that. And uh, I, I don't think anybody will notice too much of a difference. And I have now lost both of people in video. So I don't I'm, know what, what's going on there. I'm, I'm trying to come back. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, James, what is your backup plan? Somebody hit me. I said so again. The, the one thing we say always as technical people um, is that, do you have a backup? Do you have a backup? Do you have a backup? But the reality is some data on your computer is less important than others. And, um, and the, when you mentioned it, I thought to myself, why do I even back up my podcasts? I really don't need to. They are a moment in time. I've captured it. The file is uploaded to a third party. 
And, and ultimately, I do take a copy of that backup and I put it on an external drive to get it off my main work drive. But I'm never going to touch it again. I don't need it. There's no need to reference it. If I lost them, nah, it's okay. I still People are still accessing them on the distribution server that I have out on the internet. Um, it's a type of content that is most valuable now. And as time goes on, it becomes less valuable. Um, this is a little different than the training courses I do that have a shelf life of about three years. When I create that content, they're good for three years. I have to make sure I have backups of those things. After three years, they become completely worthless. Can't use them at all. So that that's an interesting one because they're very, 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 very valuable. Not so much now. Um, and then I have other content, of course, like family pictures that as time goes on, they just become even more valuable. So for podcasts, I put them in my lowest priority. I'll, I'll copy them over and uh, if, if I lose them, okay. And you make a very valid point uh, because of the nature of podcasting. Once it's released into your feed, you're pretty much done with it. And every listener has a backup copy. Right, exactly, point. exactly. Uh, so I, I, I certainly see that point. But uh, Rateo in the chat room uh, says what I tend to think of. He says, maybe someday you want to go back and, and uh, to the masters for remastering. I can't think of why I would want to, but because I'm an IT guy for a living and backups have been uh, beaten into me and, and raids and big iron, and I have that yep. mindset. So I have multiple copies of both the raw and the edited uh, and the MP3s uh, that I keep both on-site and off-site. Should I? You know, we could argue that all day long. Do I? Yes, I do. I use Dropbox. I pay for uh, extra storage on Dropbox. Every show, the moment it is, uh, I hit record, goes into Dropbox. So I have my local copy, and I have every place that Dropbox is synced, plus I have on Dropbox's servers. Plus I have uh, local storage, a couple of uh, hard drives here. I make copies there, and I keep those. Wow. And when they fill up, I go buy other drives. Should I? Probably not. Do I? Yes. I think should you? Yes. And that's, that's good because I should be doing what you're doing. I think what you're doing is correct. That's and, and my thinking was uh, hard drives are cheap. I can go buy a three terabyte uh, external drive for less than a hundred bucks on Amazon right now. Elementopi.com really? slash Amazon. Um, so they came, they came uh, yeah. down again, hard drives? Yeah, they have, yes. Oh, so, see, that was one of the reasons why I didn't want to go buy one. <laughs> All right. I figure then, you know, I I, I buy three uh, three terabyte drive. I throw lots of stuff on it. When I fill it up, I'll go buy another one, and it's not a big deal. And I will just keep all of those in the safe deposit box at the bank. You know, do I need them? Probably never ever again. But maybe someday I'm going to be inducted into the broadcasters hall of fame, and they want some archive uh, audio, and I'll have it. By golly, the vault. You have the vault. Right. I'll have it. When they opened the cockerel wing of the Museum of Broadcasting. <laughs> That's pretty smart. Any other comments there? We're uh, coming up on an hour and a half. There's other stuff, uh, but is there anything that you guys want to hit real quick before we do anything else? Before we say goodnight, I mean. Good. Yeah. I'm good. All right. It was another one of those cases where I wasn't sure we'd have enough content, and we ran out of show before we <laughs> ran out of content. Yeah. I'll move on now to the uh, uh, lesson you learned this week. Uh, and Steve, you learned how to cog a bathtub, right? That is what I learned in its simplicity. That is what I learned. I learned how to do it the wrong way. And now I know how to do it the right way. I just don't know if I'm ever going to do it again. 
So you learn the right way only to realize that you're not inclined to actually do it the right way. Yeah, it's such a shame. That's always how it works. When you actually get something down, you don't ever do it, use it again. Sometimes. James, what is your lesson you learned this week? My process of, of going back and looking at my codex and understanding how much compression I was doing to my MP3 files, which is the bit rate that's being used, uh, reevaluating the number of samples per second I was doing of the MP3 and just giving it a once over and optimizing it uh, makes me remember you should always keep trying those things, keep uh, keep checking for different ways to do things, better ways to do things that that's going to be be uh, in the long run better for what you're trying to accomplish. So um, I essentially went back to day one and said, if I was going to produce this for the very first time, what should it be? And sometimes you have to revert and think of things that way. Good call. Yeah. And my lesson learned this week is listen to advice and take tips that people give you. Uh, like what? Well, like anything for, but specifically this week, uh, James, last week, and, and we've talked about it a number of times, you mentioned the tool, uh, um, I just Did blanked I? on the name of the tool. It's a fantastic tool as well. That's awesome. Right in the middle of it. Synergy. Synergy yes, for, right. for multiple desktop and laptop integration. And yep. we've talked about it. James and I have talked about it. We, we covered it at length on a couple of podcasts. It's been a tip of the week on one of my podcasts. I've never actually taken the time to set it up and use it until today. I set it up and I'm working this show right now from my one laptop across all the others. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is so much easier. Why didn't I listen the 749 times people told me this was so much better? Why didn't I listen to them? So nice. Listen to tips. Act on them immediately. Don't wait because you'll wish you had later. Specifically that one. If you're not using Synergy, guys, and you're using more than one machine, use it. Synergy is good. It's yes. a, and the new version, get the, when you download it, download the uh, beta, the uh, unstable, I think is how it's labeled, because it has a setup wizard that is way easier than their stable branch. Ah. And so far, it's pretty stable. It's graphical. You click a button and you drag it, and that's where it goes. And it's much better. Oh, much better. See, that's the thing about Synergy. Sometimes it's a bear to configure, but once it's dialed in, it's just golden. So there that's you go. Awesome. That's my tip this week. So that's both a tech tip and a lesson I learned. Synergy is nice. a good thing. And if the name wasn't a noun, I would have remembered it. Guys, where can people find you and all your good stuff if they want to learn more about James the Professor Messer? Then they go to professormesser.com for IT training videos absolutely free on the internet. And I have a podcast called What a Week that you can find at whataweekpodcast.com. And Steve Arino? Well, if you are listening to this podcast, I'm assuming that you're interested in podcasting and I have a product at howtopodcast.biz that might be right up your alley. It is 10 hours of podcasting information from a seminar that I performed last year in July and I basically covered everything I know about the subject. Hopefully that'll be enough for you <laughs> in addition to this podcast, of course. And um, it's it's all in video form, edited, intro music, polished. It's it's pretty good. I think you'll enjoy it. So check it out. And um, I wanted to say something else, but I totally forgot. So, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was going to say they're selling out. I'm almost sold out. So you want to get them fast. 
and I'm just lying because it's downloadable and there's an infinite amount of them. So. <laughs> the DVD versions, though, are very rare. Yeah, I'm actually they are, but I actually am planning out coming out with a DVD soon for it. So, if you buy the downloadable, you'll get a huge discount on the DVD. So don't let that stop you. Very good. I paid Steve for that literally the day it came out and didn't regret it. It's good stuff. I stole all of his ideas right away. Thanks, Mark. Not for stealing my ideas, but for saying it's good stuff. And if you want to find me, you can do that at elementop.com. And I encourage you to uh, go, uh, you, again, you have to create an account. You won't see it if you're not logged in. Uh, create an account on the site and uh, check out on the uh, right, the top of the right column on the page is a preview of the podcast handbook. It's one chapter. Download it. Read it. Tell me what you think. Let me know if it's, uh, if it's good, if it's bad. Uh, I want to know. And hopefully it'll wet your whistle to the, uh, it's one chapter of about, I think, 11 or 12. So hopefully it will wet your whistle to what is to come. And I hope you enjoy it. Also, while you're there, check out the Art of Podcasting forums. Uh, let, uh, let these guys know what you think of them. That's the uh, online repository for this show. They both have their sites, and you can talk to them uh, there. But if you're going to talk about this show, do it over at uh, elementop.com so that we can synergize all of that good stuff and have it all in one place. So thanks for listening, everybody. And I'm going to say that ends this episode of The Art of Podcasting. Podcasting.